Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch in me that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. As the father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. And these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. And Father, we just humbly pause and ask that you'd help us now to continue to worship in spirit and in truth as you want us to. And as we open up the truth of your word, as always, we ask that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher and our interpreter and our instructor and that he would bear witness to the truth in each of our hearts personally. Speak to us that we might hear your spirit of truth speaking to us what we each need to hear individually from this portion of scripture. Bless your word and prepare us now to receive from it. We ask in Jesus' name and everyone said, amen, amen. You may be seated. You know, certainly one essential, I believe, to experience a healthy and satisfying and enduring marriage relationship is understanding the importance that beyond making an initial commitment at the marriage altar where you enter into that relationship, there is a very important essential need to then maintain ongoing connection and continuous experiences of investing in that relationship with one another. And that same truth applies as well to the spiritual life or to what we refer to as a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, the Bible pictures the Christian life as a marriage relationship where Jesus is the groom and we are his bride. And yes, beyond all importance, certainly, there is the need of a day in our life when we enter into initially a relationship with Jesus Christ. We refer to that in many different ways. The day we were saved or the day we're born again when we start a spiritual experience and become a child of God or the day of our conversion. Yes, there must be, there should be a day when we make a personal commitment to Jesus as our Savior, where we accept Him as the Savior for our sin to be forgiven, where we enter into a relationship with Him, where we embrace Him as the Lord of our life and we turn from a life that we once lived and we say, Jesus, I choose now to follow You. I want You to take over control of my life. But that just begins a personal relationship with the Lord. In a sense, that's the marriage day spiritually. That is just the beginning, but from there we must continue walking with the Lord to remain connected to Him in ongoing fellowship with a continuous spiritual experience with the Lord, that the relationship then remains healthy and so that we can become, as Jesus testifies about here, fruitful spiritually in our life and relationship with the Lord. That's the whole point, really, of Jesus' words in this teaching here, not just coming to him initially, but the importance of staying connected to Jesus relationally on an ongoing basis, staying connected to him, remaining in that relationship in an ongoing experience. And Jesus illustrates this here, as we can see in John 15, with this analogy. This metaphor of a vine with many different branches that are connected to it and how the branches can and should then bear fruit from what they're receiving from the sap or the source of the vine sending it 
through their existence. The life of the vine supplies the sap or the source of life that flows into the branch and the branch ultimately then as a result experiences fruit as a result of that connection to the vine. Well, in the same manner, Jesus is showing us here, the follower of Jesus must remain connected to him. Because just like the branch has no capacity to generate or produce fruit apart from the life it receives from the vine, you and I as people do not have the ability to produce spiritual life on our own. We can't generate or manufacture spiritual life in our lives. We must remain in constant connection to the Lord because we don't possess spiritual life within ourselves. This is something we have to receive from the Lord himself, who is the vine, the source of spiritual life. Uh, and it must be received by an ongoing connection to Jesus, staying, uh, if you would, in union with him relationally and his life supplies supernaturally what we need for the spiritual life. Let's look at this together. If you look with me back in verse 1, Jesus begins this next teaching, it seems here, of what we often call the upper room discourse, saying to his disciples, I am the true vine. And my father, he says, is the vine dresser. Now, this is what we refer to as another I am statement of Jesus. This is the seventh one. You should be familiar at this point <clears throat> that we find in John's gospel where Jesus makes a statement about himself, revealing something about his nature, who he is as the son of God. And here he says, I am now the true vine. That is the true source for supplying spiritual life and what is necessary to produce fruit for God. It's interesting as Jesus makes that statement there, verse 1, I am the true vine. In the original language, that could also be translated, I am the vine, the true one, which I think drives the emphasis home. I am the vine, the true one. And what Jesus is trying to indicate, no doubt, is there are other things that people will live dependent upon and try and draw from as a source for their life. Many of us, quite honestly, have made the mistake in our paths before we are following Jesus and some of us sort of err even after we're following where we start to look to other things as our source. And we depend upon a substance or we depend upon even another person or certain experiences or validation. or accept. And there are all these different sources that we can go to to try and find what we need. But Jesus is always reminding us that's not the right source. That's not the right thing to live dependent upon. He's revealing here that he is the vine, is the right source, the right thing for people to be depending upon. Now, interesting, especially from a Jewish context, as Jesus says here to the disciples that he is the vine. In the Old Testament, the vine is one of a few different trees that is used to symbolically portray the nation of Israel. For example, Psalm 80 gives this reference. Isaiah chapter 5 is a reference to Israel as a vine. Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 21, God says there, I planted you a noble vine, a seed of highest quality. So God, referring to the nation of Israel, symbolically refers to them as a vine. The idea is that they were planted spiritually as a people. And God gave them a beginning that was very, if you would, fertile and the opportunity to have complete fruitfulness as a people to serve him as his chosen people. And to make them fertile, God gave them so many spiritual privileges to try and help them be a source, a fruitful vine for him on the earth. For example, the Jews received the scripture and they had the temple and they had the sacrificial system and the priesthood and prophecies and the presence of God. I mean, he, he, on top of that, the messianic promise of the Savior. He gave them so much as a vine to be a source of spiritual life to the nations to produce spiritual fruit for God. Yet, sadly, we know the nation of Israel did not fulfill their intended purpose to be this vine spiritually, if you would. In fact, if you want to jot in your notes, Matthew chapter 21, verse 33 to 46, Jesus tells a parable there of how they had failed in that way specifically. But that is likely perhaps the reason why Jesus now metaphorically refers to himself as the promised Messiah by saying here, I am the 
true vine. I am the true vine. Not the nation of Israel, not the religious leaders of that day who had failed in their purpose. I am the true vine. <clears throat> I am the one who has always been the real source of spiritual life. And the way to truly experience spiritual fruitfulness was through a connection to the person of Jesus himself. Again, a vine, which he refers to himself as, is the source of life for a plant. It's the source of life for uh, producing grapes, for producing olives, these type of things in a vineyard. The vine supplies the life and the nutrients of all that's needed for a grapevine or for uh, an olive vineyard to become fruitful and flourish the way it's supposed to. It generates and supplies, as I said, through the sap that flows through the vine and then into the uh, wooden branches what is necessary to produce the fruit. And Jesus is identifying himself here now as the source for spiritual life, the source for spiritual fruitfulness. He sends the sap of his spirit, if you would, through our lives to be able to experience fruit for God. You notice as well in verse 1, another identification, Jesus says, and my Father, the Father in heaven, he says he is the vine dresser. Now, the vine dresser is basically what we would call the, the gardener, the one who tends and cultivates a plant. And a vine dresser or a gardener basically is the steward who gives loving and wise care to a plant to do whatever it takes to make that plant what? Be the most fruitful to flourish and to produce to its fullest extent and its intended purpose. One third thing we draw to your attention before we move forward as we read it in verse 5 is Jesus also identifies the branches in this analogy. He says over in verse 5, I'm the vine, but what? You are the branches. So we begin to see now the branches are you and I, people. And what are branches? If you see, They're the weak flimsy wood that gnarly wood that basically stays connected to the vine and the sole purpose of the branch is just to produce fruit as the sap flows through it and the fruit is produced as a result of its existence and the vine again is what's supplying the sap in the life and as a result fruit is naturally produced as long as the branch is staying connected to the source and the vine so we're to function like branches staying connected to jesus receiving life spiritually and becoming fruitful for god well jesus goes on verse 2 to say therefore every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away and every branch that bears fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit so jesus states here because the father like a vine dresser is tending our lives as people he's wanting and looking for fruit as a vine dresser would because of that jesus says here in verse 2 the way he relates to branches of the vine <clears throat> is according to what they are doing in regards to whether they are bearing fruit or not bearing fruit and that depends on how he relates to the branch whether it is bearing fruit or whether it's not bearing fruit now in both instances i believe the father still is seeking to cause the development of fruit that being this whether it is trying to start or stimulate fruit production where it's non-existent or whether it is trying to increase and further fruit production to a greater degree where there is already fruit but he wants it to become more fruitful and to flourish to its fullest potential. So we see, first of all, in verse 2 here, how the Father handles branches that are not bearing fruit. He says there in verse 2, look at it, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, it says he takes away. And let me just say, due to analogy, at times we find in the Bible, parables and so forth, we have to be careful to not always drive too uh, firmly doctrinal truths out of these things. What exactly is Jesus referring to here in verse 2 when he talks about the branch that does not bear fruit being taken away? Well, uh, it could be that Jesus there is referring to the false Christian. And what I mean by that is someone who's perhaps connected to the things of Jesus. They're, they're dwelling among the uh, people of God, amongst his uh, fellow Christians, and, and, and not genuinely, however, experiencing a relationship with Christ. 
They're coexisting with others and connected, if you would, to others and amongst the things of the church and Christians, but they're not genuinely experiencing life with Christ within. The Spirit or the sap of God's not flowing through their life yet in a personal way. And because of that, they're not producing any spiritual fruit. So no real spiritual Christian fruit is being yielded in their life because perhaps they are not yet a genuine Christian. 2 Timothy 3 warns how even in the last days there would be those who have a form of godliness. That is an outward representation of godliness. It says, but denying the power within. That is not really having an experience with the Lord. Just going through the mechanics of what other Christian people around them they see doing. They know when to stand and sit and they sing the words maybe to the songs and they're perhaps trying to be open to the Lord and so they're coexisting together with fellow believers and maybe they even perhaps could even profess to know Jesus but yet they're not really spiritually converted yet and that's why there's an absence of the spiritual fruits of what a Christian should be yielding, they're not bearing fruit as a true believer should. And therefore, even as a skilled vine dresser would remove dead and lifeless wood from among the vineyard so that it does not harm the fruitful vines, the father may, in his wisdom, if he so chooses at times, perhaps remove somewhat someone who is a false believer from the presence and coexistence of other believers in the Lord's vineyard. It's interesting that we read this in 1 John chapter 2, verse 19. The Bible speaks of these type of things. 1 John 2, 19 says this, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it may be made manifest, revealed, that none of them were of us. That is that this kind of thing happens at times where there will be this spiritual separation and sometimes the Bible says this is because a person was not really of the people of God's spirit. So they were coexisting, but they weren't really of the people of God. So something happens or transpires in their heart and God sovereignly allows this separation process which manifests they were not really in, in, in relationship with Christ. Now look, even if God should somehow in his sovereignty remove someone who at the time is a false believer from among the presence of true believers, I don't think that is only just to protect the fruitfulness of believers. Personally, I think that is a measure of God's love as a vine dresser in some ways at times where the fruitless branch, he wants them to realize their true condition and to see what's missing in their life that they may ultimately come to a place of truly bearing fruit that God intended for them. It's interesting that to the church, we read this in 2 Corinthians 13.5, to the church, the letter says, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you are disqualified? So there's this exhortation even amongst the ranks of the church to examine whether one is truly in right relationship with the Lord. The heart of the Father, listen, is if this is a reference to a false believer, the heart of the Father is that they would become a true believer, that they wouldn't be a make-believer, that they would become a true believer. And I think the Father is so loving, He wants them to start living a fruitful life in Jesus. He'll do whatever it takes to stimulate that. And if that means bringing them to an awareness or a reality or doing what he needs to do to get their attention, he is a loving gardener and will do whatever he can because he wants to start and stimulate true fruit for God in a person's life. Now, it is possible, verse 2 as well, where it says a branch that doesn't bear fruit, he takes away. It's possible as well, maybe that's speaking to someone who is a Christian but has just become somewhat stagnant in their relationship with the Lord. And so they become apathetic spiritually and what we maybe might say, they become barren spiritually. And they're not really living a fruitful Christian existence. Mark chapter 4 and Luke 8, Jesus there describes a spiritual heart condition where a person starts out really well spiritually and they're very enthusiastic for the Lord. But along the way, Jesus says this, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things and the pleasures of this life choke out the word of God in their life and they become unfruitful. 
And it says, bringing no fruit to maturity. So Jesus describes this can happen to a person where they start out really well. They are planted and they're beginning to bear fruit and they're yielding. But then all of a sudden, things of this world like thorns, they start choking out the fruitfulness of a person's spiritual life. And all of a sudden, the deceitfulness of, of riches and materialism or just the cares of this world become so consuming to their life or the desires for other things and pleasures of this life, just things that appeal to the fleshly nature can all of a sudden begin in any one of our lives to sort of begin to crowd in and it starts choking out a person's spiritual fruitfulness. And so all of a sudden, they never really begin to bear fruit the way that they once did. And perhaps, let's be very honest, perhaps you can relate to that personally. Maybe at a time in your life when that transpired, maybe perhaps for one or a few of you this morning, and you can begin to evaluate your own life, and you know that you're a believer, but you honestly would have to say, you know, boy, I, I don't know if I'm quite as fruitful spiritually as I once was. And some things have come into my experience in my life that are sort of choking out my spiritual fruitfulness. And this can happen to all of our lives. Well, in that case, I don't think our father harshly cuts out his spiritual children and takes them away and discards of them if they're not bearing fruit. The heart of the father is that he wants to restore and revive such a believer in that condition. What's interesting is that Greek term Jesus uses there in verse 2, he takes away that could also be translated, the language there, to take up or to lift up. So if it were truly to be better be translated that he takes it up or lifts it up, the idea is out of its current position, that would somewhat picture as well what a vine dresser would do if on occasion he found a branch from a grapevine that was laying down in the dirt. Because this would happen at times where the branch would fall off the wooden trellis and it would be laying down in the dirt. And, and unlike other plants, uh, grapes and, and, and grape plants don't produce well if they're laying in the dirt. So if that plant is laying down in the dirt because it's fallen from its prior position, what the vine dresser does is he goes over and he has to take it up. He has to lift it up, wash it off, and then he puts it back on the wooden trellis where it once was, restoring it back to where it was and where it had fallen from so it can be revived back to health and so that the production of fruit can be restored and stimulated once again. And sometimes in our lives, uh, that's needed on occasion where if we begin to be choked out and become unfruitful, sometimes Jesus comes in and he has to get our attention and reveal it to us, but he doesn't bruise the, or he doesn't break the bruised reed or put out the smoking flax, but instead he says, no, let me, let me wash you off and, and put you back where you were so that you can begin to thrive again spiritually. So you become fruitful and begin to flourish. He wants to start that fruit production if perhaps there is no fruit happening. Now, we notice here, secondly in verse 2, Jesus also tells us how the father relates to a branch that is bearing fruit what if a branch is bearing fruit well he says there every branch that is bearing fruit he says the father prunes it that it may bear more fruit so when a branch is fruitful producing as it should a vine dresser wanting to see it reach its fullest potential will at times when necessary prune it back with those sharp pruning shears and will basically cut back the growth and the fruit that is there and the pruning process is a purging process and it's not intended to hurt the plant. It's actually, we know, intended to do what? To make it yield greater fruitfulness in the season ahead. The gardener doesn't cut it off altogether. He's cutting back part of the prior fruit that was there because it was doing well, cleaning and clearing away some of the current expansion and growth that currently exists in order to actually stimulate a greater amount of fruit in the next season ahead. And again, this is a picture spiritually, sometimes for a fruitful believer who wants to serve the Lord faithfully, this is a process that the Father may orchestrate in your life on occasion where perhaps you go through a little bit of a pruning experience, where he cuts back, if you would, some of the things that once were happening or a part of your life, 
But again, this experience is not intending to harm or destroy. It's done under the loving care and the wisdom of a good father who's a vine dresser who's trying to ultimately help us in the days ahead to become more fruitful. And again, perhaps you can relate to this in your life, this experiencing happening. Maybe in your life right now, you, you sort of feel like there's been a, a pruning process. And some of the things that have been a part of your life or were so long a part of your life, what you were doing or involved in or, or aspects of, of your spiritual growth and fruitfulness, and then all of a sudden it's like, whoa, what's going on here, Lord? You, you kind of pruned me back a little bit here. And sometimes this, I know in my life, has been an experience where I can tell that the Lord is beginning to sort of cut and trim back certain things and we may begin to panic or wonder what's going on and the reality is, listen, if it's happening as the result of that we were being fruitful for Jesus, it's because the Father recognizes in some way, listen, this is a part of a process that I need to do in you so that fresh work of my spirit can go through your life because I just want to see you be more fruitful in the next season ahead. And there have been times in my life where the Father, whether it's changing what I'm doing ministry-wise or, or just things that are a part of my life at times, will actually prune back a little bit. And that pruning process is to actually prepare for a greater proliferation and production of fruit as we go forward. Well, Jesus then says in verse 3, you are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. So he assures his disciples, the great vine dresser here is, is not always going to have to use the sharp pruning knife. Because as soon as we hear that, we start freaking out, right? Hold on. I don't like that pruning idea. I think I'll just be fruitless. I mean, I'm, I'm, not, I'm just being, that's fine. If we're talking about a sharp knife, I prefer to pass on that one. And perhaps the disciples, Jesus knowing their hearts, were kind of a little bit apprehensive. And here he says, look, often the word of the Lord produces that purging, pruning, cleansing process that is needed in all of our lives on occasion. Hearing the word of the Lord personally speak to our heart many times routinely purges and cleanses from our lives what needs to be taken out to continue in fruitfulness. His word has a cleansing effect upon our lives to help us be fruitful. It's interesting, Ephesians 5 speaks of being cleansed by the washing of the water of the word. And maybe Jesus is comforting his followers, disciples, you and I, from being afraid of hearing that pruning term, that we don't have to be terrified that if we want to be fruitful, that pruning is always going to be the process to get us there. Oh my. So if I want to be more fruitful, that means the Lord's got to take out them sharp, painful pruning shears in my life. Perhaps Jesus wants to encourage the more routine purging and pruning process happens in a more gentle way as the word of the Lord is going in and through our life routinely, it has a way to powerfully cleanse and work internally to cut out of our lives things that shouldn't be there to help us. It's interesting, isn't it? Hebrews 4.12 describes God's word this way. It says, The word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of our heart. So what a great encouragement that the word of God, the word of the Lord, if it's continually going into our lives on a regular basis, will usually be the more routine, regular way that the purging and the pruning process happens in our lives to get out of our hearts things that would choke out and crowd us from being fruitful to help us to continue to remain in the Lord and be fruitful for him. Well, verse 4 and 5 now, we really come to the focus of what Jesus wants his disciples to give our attention and concentration upon in this whole process. Look what he says, verse 4 and 5. He says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Jesus here says, here's the crux of the matter spiritually for being a fruitful follower of Jesus Christ. 
If I want to live a life that bears fruit for God, to live a fruitful Christian experience, Jesus' repeated command, you see it here, his repeated and restated instruction to his followers there in verse 4 and 5 is abide in me. Abide in me. This is how we experience this. Now, the word abide is somewhat maybe a little more of an archaic term for some of us. Some of your more modern translations render that remain in me. And the word abide simply means that. It means to stay connected to something, to continue with something, or to remain in something. So you should hear Jesus saying, when you hear abide in me, you should hear Jesus saying, remain in me. That's the idea continue with me. He's emphasizing the necessity of ongoing continuous connection with him spiritually and that this is of vital importance. Again, as I said earlier, not just that we come to Jesus initially for a one-time commitment to start, but that we instead remain in close fellowship with the Lord, continuous union with him on a daily basis that we're consistently and regularly staying connected to Jesus in a love relationship and that this is vital and necessary for proper health in our spiritual lives in order to be fruitful for God the way that he wants us to. If we want fruit to transpire, it's not going to happen if we just choose to get saved and then we basically live disconnected from Jesus and when we have to dial supernatural 911 when our world's falling apart again. That's not the how we're supposed to live the Christian life. We are to live continuously in a relationship with the Lord on an ongoing basis. Again, just I mean ponder this. Ponder if I came to my wife and I proposed to her and we got married and great and we had a fantastic honeymoon and we lived together for about two, three weeks, maybe a month, and I said, you know what, that was great. And I'm married to you, and I'm going to keep my ring on. But you know what? I'm going to move out, kind of do what I want to do, and, and when I need you once in a while, I'll ring you up. I don't think that'd fly too well, right? But yet sometimes as Christians, we, I'm not going to say consciously or purposely, we, we almost can start to operate like that, where we're not abiding. We're not remaining in the Lord, staying connected to the Lord. So Jesus uses this metaphor again of nature to illustrate this in verse 4. Look what he says there. He says, The branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides, remains, stays connected to the vine. Again, the design and intention of a branch is it's supposed to bear fruit. That's the primary purpose of a branch. However, though that's the purpose of the branch, a branch does not have the capacity to produce its own fruit. Its purpose is to produce fruit, but it has no power within itself to yield or manufacture fruit. It must remain fully dependent upon what? The vine. It has to stay connected to the vine because the vine is the source that sends the life and sends the sap into it to allow it to fulfill its purpose. And if that branch, picture this in nature, becomes disconnected from the vine... It can't produce fruit anymore. It's incapable on its own, apart from receiving the, the sap and the life from the source of the vine, to produce fruit. That branch will become lifeless and it will fail to be fruitful. Well, Jesus says here, look at it, even as that principle is true in nature, he says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. So in the same way, verse 4, he says, neither can you bear fruit unless you abide, like the branch, in me, unless you remain connected to me. A follower of Jesus has no ability to bear spiritual fruit apart from continuous connection to the Lord Jesus himself relationally because he is the source of spiritual life. I know it sounds overly simplistic, but let me say, as I've said before, the Christian life is supernatural. It's supernatural. It's not a religious experience where I say, okay, I'm, I'm going to reform my life a little bit and kind of, yeah, I could use a little morality and some rules in my life and maybe some church attendance and you know, sing some nice songs once in a while and you know, read some good principles from a good book. The Christian life is to be a relational, supernatural experience with a living God and a Savior that's alive, a life lived fully dependent on the spirit of the Lord so it makes sense then that we must remain connected 
to Jesus relationally. That we have to have ongoing fellowship with Him. Why? So as I said, the sap of the Spirit can be flowing into our life. And through our life, through ongoing relationship and experiences with the Lord to receive that life-giving help and power and enable us to produce spiritual fruit. Now, what does remaining in Jesus, abiding in Jesus, look like practically for spiritual life? Well, it looks like doing things via spiritual disciplines that maintain relationship with Jesus. It's really not a complex thing. It's spending time with the Lord, having continuous experiences with the Lord Himself, investing in the relationship, like a marriage relationship, maintaining, cultivating that love relationship like we would any love relationship and not neglecting common sense things that would maintain a relationship. For example, this is not rocket science, spending time with the Lord. We refer to it in our Christianese language as having a devotional time. A time where we devote part of our day, part of our experience to the Lord. Where we spend some time with Him. Just like when our spouse comes home and at some point, hopefully, you disconnect from everything else you're doing and you look them in the eyes if you're going to have any marriage relationship and you actually talk to each other for a few minutes. And if you care about the relationship and want to cultivate the relationship, you have to do that. And to the extent that we don't do that, what happens? Marriage struggles. Relationship becomes difficult. Well, the same is true spiritually. If you are a Christian, you want to love and walk with have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you want to grow spiritually, and you want to be fruitful spiritually, you have to remain in Jesus relationally, experientially. If you are a Christian, at some point in your day, you are not that busy. I'm sorry to break your heart. And I'm very passionate about this. That you cannot find at some point in your day, morning, lunch, afternoon, evening, before you go to bed, to find a quiet place with a quiet heart away from everybody else and to spend a few minutes talking to the Lord, telling Him what's going on, asking for His help and direction in your life and opening His Word and saying, Lord, would you talk to me? Would you speak to me? Would you wash over my heart with the truth because I've been living in a world of lies and my brain gets messed up and my heart... And, and that you would spend time alone with the Lord. Listen, my, my, my kids are able to... Oh, I don't, I don't read the... My children... This is one of the primary disciplines I, I purposely have tried to emphasize upon my children. Don't think just because you're a teenager or a young person you can't do this. God will speak to you. He wants to speak to you. I challenge you. I, cha I double-dog dare you. You read your Bible every day and see if things don't start to change in your life. If there's not a fruitfulness that begins to flourish in your life. A second way, of course, of remaining connected to Jesus also is by consistent routine participation in times of worship. Being connected to the church, to what we call the body of Christ. This is a way to remain connected to the Lord. Oh, I don't know. I can be a Christian and I don't need church. Well, wait a minute. Jesus said, I'm the head and you are the body. Typically, when a head and a body, when decapitation happens... The person doesn't make it too long. They don't do too well. And it is the will of God that we as Christians gather and assemble with Jesus and with his church because he is present among us and then his spirit works among the church. As the body of Christ is connected, he by his spirit moves in our midst and is working among us and we stay connected to him because the life-giving work of his spirit works amongst the body of Christ, among Christians as we assemble together. Again, if, if a person disconnects from routine assembly with the church and with the body of Christ on a consistent, regular basis, if that happens and a person is, for whatever reasons, not staying connected consistently to fellowship, it is like a body part disconnecting from the rest of the body or disconnecting from the head. If I cut off my arm, not only is my body going to suffer because it's not receiving something that's supposed to be there, 
but my arm is not going to make it because it's not going to receive what it needs. The direction from the brain, the head, the motor functions, the tele- it's, it's not going to go off and live independent by itself. It's going to suffer. It's going to struggle. It's going to shrivel. And the same way, listen, this is true spiritually. I, praise the Lord, you're in church tonight, but I cannot emphasize this point to you enough about devotions and the discipline of being with the people of the Lord consistently. This is what connection to Jesus looks like. It's really not complicated. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 10, we are not to be forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. And when a person disconnects from Christian fellowship and gathering with God's people, that is an abnormal, unhealthy, detrimental spiritual experience. And they cannot achieve the fruitfulness that God intends for them to in that way. It becomes a dysfunctional spiritual life. Yet Jesus says in verse 5, the one who does abide in me and I in him, look what he says, very simple. He who abides in me and I in him, he says, verse 5, bears much fruit. Again, you see how it's not complicated? It's not hard to produce spiritual fruit. It's not hard to experience a fruitful Christian life. We're told to do one simple thing. Jesus says, you just remain. It's almost as if Jesus says, listen, you don't have to be smart, Tony. You don't have to be talented, Tony. You just hang in there. You just hang in there. If you don't know how to do anything else, you just, just stay connected to me. I don't expect you to do anything. In fact, please don't do anything else. You'll really mess things up. Just stay connected to me. And the wonderful thing is, fruit is the natural automatic byproduct of a branch just abiding. It happens, right? Have you ever had a fruit tree or gone by a vineyard or something like that? You don't go by and see sweat on the brow of an apple tree because it's straining to make apples, right? It's just a natural, it's a natural thing. As the branch stays connected, the natural byproduct is fruit. It doesn't struggle or strain. It's the automatic natural experience. Well, the same is true in the spiritual life. Well, what does spiritual fruit look like that Jesus is referring to? What's it look like practically? Well, from Scripture, I can give you a few direct ideas of what it's revealed by. First one should come to all of our minds, Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit, there it is, is love and joy and peace long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. When I'm abiding in Jesus and then I begin to abound spiritually, there should be more and more of the fruit of the Spirit being produced in my life. And that's not just for me. It's for others to partake of that good fruit as I'm more loving and more joyful and peaceful and I'm more kind and more faithful and gentle and have self-control. Romans 6 says that there's also the fruit of holiness. That is part of the spiritual fruit in a Christian's life should be a, a greater measure of avoiding sin and living a holy life. James 3 and Hebrews 12 speaks of the fruit of righteousness, that is, living in a more righteous manner. Romans 1 and Philippians 1 speak as well of spiritual fruit in the capacity of ministry work, that there's spiritual fruit pictured in the sense that, and it's not the only way of spiritual fruit, but as we labor for the Lord, fruit is part of the spiritual experience and that we would be fruitful in that way. Philippians chapter 4 speaks of spiritual fruit in generosity. That, that is, they were a giving church and as they gave a gift, Paul said that this fruit may abound to your account. So giving of our resources is a one form of spiritual fruit. And then Hebrews 13 verse 15 says this, Therefore by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. So how else is spiritual fruit manifested and produced in our life? By, as I'm abiding in Jesus, the fruit will begin to happen where I start liking to pray and I start liking to worship because it's the fruit of my lips giving thanks to his name so as you're abiding in the Lord part of that spiritual fruit will be you enjoy singing to the Lord and praying to the Lord in your life well Jesus wanting to strongly emphasize for people like me who maybe missed the point ends by saying there in verse 5 look at it for without me in case you missed the point Tony you can do and I have it circled, the N-word, nothing. Nothing. 
Jesus wants to drive home this point clearly that apart from connection to him, we are incapable of anything spiritually. Again, if you can illustrate it, it's like the microwave that's unplugged from the wall. If you unplug the microwave from the wall, you disconnect it from the power source, the electricity, you can push all the right... I don't understand. I keep hitting popcorn. It always works. I know how to push the buttons. Oh, popcorn always works. Well, listen, you can push all the buttons, try every combination. If you're disconnected from the power source, it will do nothing. Same is true spiritually. Apart from Jesus, we sometimes think, well, I mean, I can't do... Yeah, I can't do most things, but I'm a pretty experienced Christian. I mean, I've been saved for 20 years. I'll know me some Bible verses and some Christian techniques and, and all of a sudden, sometimes, let me be very honest, we can begin to get a little proud in our spiritual experience. Sometimes we think we're so experienced as a Christian, we can maintain the spiritual life. No, we can. Jesus is apart from me. Perhaps you need to be reminded you can do nothing, he says. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he's cast out as a branch and withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. So again, using this analogy, and again, we can't be 100% certain here. Jesus gives a pretty clear warning to a branch that fails to produce its purpose. And so therefore, as a result of it, it's becoming withered. It's tossed aside in the fire. Again, if you think of that wood, if you picture grapes, that wood of of grapes, uh, that's not really good for construction, right? It's really only good for one thing, to produce fruit. You can't build anything with that wood. It's good for one thing, to produce fruit. And the same with our lives. Our lives are intended for a primary purpose, which is to yield fruit for the God who created us and wants a relationship with us. And Jesus here gives a strong warning in verse 6. If anyone, the warning is, is to anyone who does not abide in me. Again, the idea is someone who does not remain and continue in Jesus, someone who stops abiding in the Lord, he says, risks becoming withered and experiencing a fiery judgment. Now, is Jesus here referring, giving a strong warning to the person, again, who's not a true believer, or the person who forsakes and abandons Jesus altogether that once walked with him, and therefore there's a fiery judgment ahead? Or is this a reference to perhaps again a believer who has faith in Jesus but is backslidden and now is living such a carnal and unfruitful spiritual life? And really they, like Lot, have become a saved soul but just a wasted life. It's interesting that 1 Corinthians 3 speaks of how there are some who will enter into eternity with the seat of their pants smoking on the way in. And they had faith in Christ, but yet they'll have no reward. 1 Corinthians 3 speaks of those whose lives will be tested by fire and their lives will be burned up and they will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet as through fire. Wasted life. Just burnt with fire and in a sense, either way, a very sobering, sobering warning. Jesus says, verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you'll ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. So again, two experiences of the ongoing relationship with Christ. One evidence of an abiding life, Jesus says, is it will be someone who's also abiding in his word. How can you tell when you're abiding in the Lord? Well, he says, you'll be also abiding in my word. You'll want my word being in your life, governing your life, a continuous a part of your life. And look at the benefit of it, he says, and then you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Notice, if we stay connected to Jesus, we're remaining in him and his words remaining in us. Jesus says, this will have a powerful impact on your prayer life because as we're rightly related to Jesus... His desires will become my desires. And all of a sudden, then my prayer life will be in alignment with what he wants. And all of a sudden, he'll begin to give me the desires of my heart. Why? Because it's actually the desires of his heart. And so then all of a sudden, prayer becomes this powerful, you know, experiential thing where Jesus says, as this is happening and you're connected, you'll be praying in alignment with the will of God and I'll be doing things for you in your life through your prayers that you're asking in accordance with my will. He says, verse 8, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and you will be my disciples. So Jesus indicates that when we become fruitful, it does what? Pleases the Father. 
that this is the Father's will for us. Notice the progression we read here, the language. He spoke of bearing fruit, then bearing much fruit. Now he speaks of, uh, excuse me, bearing more fruit. Now he speaks of bearing much fruit. Fruit, more fruit, much fruit. What does that tell me? Jesus is saying, look, this is what glorifies God when you flourish spiritually. As you progress spiritually. Hey, this should be an encouragement to all of us this morning. Jesus says, by this my Father is glorified when you bear much fruit. That means this, God wants you to flourish spiritually. You should pray and be confident that God wants you to succeed spiritually. He wants you to flourish spiritually because that's what brings glory to Him. And Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, I also love you. So abide in my love. And if you keep my commandments, he talked about this earlier, you will abide in my love. Just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So he again restates this truth he has before of how he wants us to experience love with him. This love relationship. And here in verse 9, Jesus says something phenomenal. He says, as the Father's loved me, I also have loved you. Here's the question Jesus is asking in the midst of what he's saying. Do you want to know how much I love you? I love you with the same measureless, unconditional, generous, kind love. The same amount of love the Father has for me, that's how much love I have for you. And he says, I don't want you to just know this love intellectually, but he says, I want you to experience it personally. He says, abide in my love. Remain in my love. He wants you and I to have a continuous, ongoing experience with his love washing over our lives keeping ourselves in a place where we're experiencing his love for us day in and day out. Jesus says, "This I don't want you to just know my love is a fact. I know Jesus' love is a fact and there's truth to it. But Jesus, I want you to experience it. And why? Because some of you aren't experiencing love the way you should from other people. But Jesus wants you to experience his love. Remain in his love. Experience his love. And look at the ultimate benefit. Verse 11, as we wrap up, he says, These things I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Why does Jesus say all these things? He indicates here because there's a wonderful byproduct of staying connected to him relationally. And he says it's this. You will experience within your inner life a deep joy which will drive out what? Sorrow and depression and despair. And listen, this world is filled with all kinds of things that cause us sorrow and depression and discouragement and despair. But Jesus says we experience him continuously. The byproduct of that is we will experience internally. Jesus says a continuous joy. You know, it's not a joy that just visits your heart and runs away afterwards, leaving you depressed. He says that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. I want you to be full of joy. And let me leave you with this thought this morning. Interacting with Jesus is a great, great antidote for depression. For depression. You feel depressed? Try spending more time with Jesus. Amen? Let's stand. Let's pray together.